It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello again, this is Merry Britsmas and I'm your host Adam talking all things Christmas from a British perspective every month, keeping a bit of seasonal cheer in my life and hopefully your lives all year round. Spring is springing here with some dashes of sun as we barrel past Easter and towards summer, and of course the most important part of summer, half Christmas. But for now we're in April, and I've got some more festive bits to discuss, including some covers of Marshmallow World, the epilogue of Christmas at War, and a 70s sitcom about British public transport. Let's start back in time on Christmas Day 1970 when ITV aired a festive episode of the very popular sitcom On the Buses. As a pop culture obsessive in the UK, I've always been aware of On The Buses. It's a show I'd seen clips of and knew as a slightly outdated comedy that seemed very British in tone and attitude. I knew a little bit about it, but never had actually seen an entire episode as far as I can remember, until watching this one for the podcast, like the intrepid festive explorer I set out to be. The show centres on the working class life of bus workers, on the fictional Luxton and District Motor Traction Company, set somewhere around Essex. The two main characters are Stan Butler, played by Reg Varney, and Jack Harper, played by Bob Grant. Stan Butler is a kind of cheeky chappy, living with his mum, attempting to chat up girls and bunk off work whenever possible. His best friend, Jack Harper, is a scheming work shy, who's also always getting into trouble with his friend. They constantly come into conflict with the other characters, such as Stan's mum, Mabel Butler, played by Doris Hare, Stan's sister, Olive, played by Anna Karen, and his brother-in-law, Arthur Judge, played by Michael Robbins. The other key character is Cyril Blake, aka Blakey, the bus depot inspector, played by Stephen Lewis, who is usually trying to stop Stan and Jack's antics or get them into trouble. The show ran for seven seasons from 1969 to 73, and also had three spin-off feature films and a stage show, it was never critically well received, often criticised for its bawdy, rude humour, but it was very successful with audiences. It's one of those old shows from the 60s and 70s that really highlights the sexist attitudes of society and the media, with references to female attraction and sexuality repeatedly from the male leads. The first feature film, simply called On the Buses, was the biggest box office film in the UK when it came out in 1971, just showing how popular it really was. Interestingly, there was also an adaptation in the USA called Lots of Luck from NBC. It only aired for one season in 1973. It starred Dom DeLuise as the main character, Stanley Belmont, and Kathleen Freeman of Blues Brothers and Naked Gun as his mother. 
It was not a success and never aired here in the UK. But On the Buses was a huge success here, and the first Christmas episode appears in the fourth season, and it's called Christmas Duty. It starts with Butler and Grant complaining about how long their journey took, due to some extra stops with Blakey arguing with them. Here we Oh, what's that thing doing in your cabin? Well, blimey, it's Christmas Eve. I mean, we've got to stop to pick up our stuff, haven't we? You know the regulations. You shouldn't have a single parcel in that cab, will you? I ain't got a single one. I've got three single ones. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've got my own here. Yeah. You, you can't take liberties just because it's the holiday like that. You, how dare you have that stuff in the cab with you? It's not right. Well, don't blame us, mate. Blame the passengers. Eh? Well, there were so many of them on the bus, there wasn't no room for our shopping. Yeah, yeah hang on, I've got an idea. Then they harassed two of the clippies, who are the young women who work on the bus, using some mistletoe outside the toilet in something very much not appropriate today. I told them, I said, you can't bring yourself down here, but they didn't make Look at <laughs> Down, put it down. <laughs> oh, what's wrong, mate? It says reserve for staff. <laughs> we're staff. Oh, Jack, you cheeky man? devil. Look, you've got to turn your machine on. You run up a shilling return. Oh, <laughs> blimey. Come on, in. <laughs> what do you think you're doing, old Latorius? Stanley then shows Blakey an appropriate toy for his nephew. Very pretty, that is. I'll tell you what you ought to have bought for your nephew, though. Right. One of these here I've got here. What's that? This is a little self-controlled bus and art good Look at this, look. Oh, that's yeah. nice, isn't it? Oh, that's I've got good, one of my little nephew. Does it go? Of course it does. Look, I've got lots of little busmen to go with it. Look, look. There's a little inspector. Oh, look at that, look. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's sweet, isn't it? I mean, it ain't half like you, Blakey, isn't it? Yeah. There's even a seam round his neck where they stuck his head on. <laughs> Come and show us how this thing right. works. Come on. You put it there like that, mate. There's your control, press yeah. the button and it goes forward. Go watch this, watch it. Oh, blimey. <laughs> oh, it's typical, isn't it, eh? <laughs> you never did know which way you was going. No, no, I pressed the wrong button. I'm sorry, I pressed the wrong button. There's a little request stop there. I'll put that there. Now, see if it can stop there. Well, yeah, if it does, it'll be the first time ever. Wait a minute, I lost the little control handle. Oh, all right, and Blakey gets a call and breaks some bad news about Christmas Day for Grant and Butler. What was all that about then, Blakey? Oh, it's that Edna Jones, a clip who's on Christmas duty tomorrow morning. She's yeah. got the flu. Oh, dear. <laughs> You're the next conductor on the Christmas road. <laughs> You've got to do it. Hey, just a minute. Has she got a doctor's system? Oh, yes, she has. No, I don't want none of these arguments. It's all been agreed with the union, you know it is. No, I mean, fancy being on duty Christmas morning. <laughs> Hard luck, Jack, mate. <laughs> Do you know who's got us driving, don't you? No. Her old man, Charlie. No, <laughs> oh, no, here, here, here. Here's the best bit of it. What? Charlie's got to stay home <laughs> and look after her and the kids. Well, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> you both got to report here for 8 o'clock no. tomorrow morning, mate. Not fair, it's not. Made my Christmas, you says. <laughs> We cut to Christmas morning and Stanley's brother-in-law, Judge, is being suitably rude. Look, it's eight o'clock. Who got me up at this ungodly hour? Well, Stan's got to go to work. I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Stan. Hope you have a nice day. I'm going back to bed. I'll be thinking of you. Oh, I'll join you as soon as I finish, love. <laughs> uh, oh, well, on second thoughts, perhaps I'll stay. That's <laughs> <laughs> a breakfast. And his sister's Christmas present of an electric blanket brings some more grumpy comments. Oh, it's just what we needed. Arthur's always saying how long it takes me to get warm in bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 
pity you didn't take one on your honeymoon. We didn't need one then, did we, Arthur? No, you brought your hot water bottle. Oh, you remember? Well, I'm hardly likely to forget that, my seeing as it leaked the first night. <laughs> no, I mean, hardly a night of romance, was it? Yeah. <laughs> Drenched her bed socks. Oh. oh, it's only a single bed size. Yes, love. We thought a single one would be better. Not only that, we didn't have enough green stamps for a double. <laughs> <laughs> We can lay it sideways across the middle of the bed and share it. Oh, don't be stupid. That means we'll both end up with hot bottoms and cold feet. <laughs> That's all right. Then you can put your cold feet on your hot bottoms. <laughs> no. And news about Christmas dinner annoys everyone. Here, don't forget we're having dinner at two o'clock. Don't be late, will you, love? Late? I don't finish your hot bars, too. There's no buses running after then, you know. Then I have to walk home. I won't be up to gone four. What a shame. He'll have to have his cold. <laughs> cold Christmas dinner? We always eat together here now. We'll have to wait till he comes home. I can't have my dinner at four o'clock. No, but that's because you're still eating your breakfast. <laughs> Don't be so nasty. Nasty. Well, I, for one, I'm not waiting till four o'clock for my turkey. I wanted a two. Your turkey? Stan paid his share. His contribution just about paid for the stuffing. Eh? <laughs> oh, I know. Arthur could come and collect you on his motorcycle. Leading to a suitably traditional Christmas argument breaking out. You should take your finger out. Oh, shut up. I don't speak to him like that. Well, it's always the same, isn't it? I'll wait for him. 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 I'll Arthur, meant to be picking up Stanley for work, arrives home drunk from the pub and his sister declares she's going to use her provisional licence to take the motorbike. Come on, come on! Oh, Mum, he can't drive in that state. Who's going to pick up Stan? Of course I can. I've only had a few. Yeah, a few too many. Oh, he can't drive like that. Now I won't be able to have my dinner till four o'clock. You look very lovely when you're angry. <laughs> oh, shut up! Oh, Mum! I know. I've got my provisional license. I can drive the bike. Yes, of course. <laughs> Don't be so stupid. You've only had two lessons. Well, she's got the hang of it. Yeah. My dear mother-in-law, your daughter has been married for nine years. She still hasn't got the hang of it. <laughs> but her chaotic driving only ends up causing chaos at the depot. Mum, he's had a few, hasn't he? Later. Never mind about your teapot, mate. You want to come and see what I've done to your bus? <laughs> Meanwhile, the overcooked turkey is causing a disaster at home with the fire brigade having to smash their way in. Couldn't we phone someone and ask them to go and turn the gas off? You talk out of the back of your neck sometimes, but how can they? It's all locked up, isn't it? Oh. And the family return home to find their front room full of foam. Yeah. Oh, no. 
No, the taters are boiled over. <laughs> Cultured foam, look at it! A copper turns up to give the full story. Evening all. Hi. I've been keeping watch till you got back. Yeah, what's all this? What, what's, 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 what's all this then? You want to be a bit more careful, sir. Your house could have burned down while you were out enjoying yourself. Hi. There was smoke pouring through that window, so the fire brigade was called. What stupid great idiot did that? Yeah. I did, sir. Oh, oh well, very decent of you. Yeah. yeah. Good thing for you some people are working today. We can't all enjoy the holiday, you know. And it all ends on a suitably corny joke from Stanley as they take the burnt bird out of the oven. Ah! Oh, I think we're in luck, Mum! I think... your fault, ain't it? Going out at lunchtime, getting booze. Now, don't you start on me, mate. Was your sister drove the bike in the bus, Look, oh, I said I'm in a poor home. I told you that. What are we gonna do, love? Well, I don't know what you're crying for. Blimey, you've always wanted a white Christmas. Now you've got one, haven't you? <laughs> on the buses really is an outdated bit of comedy. It wasn't as horrible as I first assumed from the first few moments of two men harassing two women with kisses as they came out of the toilet. The humour was mostly slapstick silliness or absurd situations. Aside from some mean digs from the brother-in-law towards his wife. There were some moments that made me smile, but no outright chuckles and no deep laughs at all. I think it's a comedy style and approach that stayed in the 70s apart from a few oddities like Mrs Brown's boys. More interesting to me was the fact it seemed like it was filmed with one takes for shots, where some actors seemed to stumble over lines or repeat a word if they messed up. There was no editing or second chance, it just seemed to stay in. I don't think that's the usual for comedies of this style at that time, or if it's just an on-the-buses thing. I don't recall it in any other older comedy shows. The episode is super short at around 20 minutes, so if you do want to see an unusual bit of British festive TV history, with a few smiles and a few moments of cringe, it's on YouTube to watch whenever you'd like. For the last year I've been reading excerpts from a great book and if you've enjoyed any of these sections I'd recommend getting it as I omitted many extracts so there's plenty more to discover. It's called Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart and each chapter explores a different aspect of people's lives at the festive season during the Second World War. I've explored sections on presents, decorating, the front line, nurses and now it's time for the final chapter, the epilogue, about the end of the war and the hope for the future. The last Christmas of the war was in 1944 and it seemed like there was a bit more optimism around as seen in the Royal Army Service Corps review for Christmas, where the cover showed a chef with smiling soldiers and a Christmas pudding labelled Victory 1945. Below it declared, remember, it won't be long now. Inside the magazine there was also an upbeat message reading, this is our fourth Christmas and we feel that our readers will not be disappointed with this year's issue. They will find the magazine appropriately festive for a Christmas celebrated under happier auspices than for many years. We ourselves would like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and that 1945 will bring many of you back to your homes to celebrate next Christmas at your own firesides. Another magazine, Good Housekeeping, also had a positive message at Christmas saying, Christmas shopping is a little more promising this year, you can actually choose. And if there are still no electric trains, still no dolls with eyes that open and shut, well, who knows what next year may bring. 
This isn't to say that fear wasn't still around though. The diary entry of one Londoner called Veer noted on New Year's Eve 1944. A few rockets, but not near us. Frequently I wake up in the night and I'm surprised to find myself alive. Because if you pass over with a rocket bomb, you will never know until you came to on the other side of life. Similarly, the journalist Leonard Mosley wrote about the feelings of gloom at this Christmas, five whole years into this never-ending war. Disillusionment and hopelessness were spectres at Christmas dinner all over the capital. No tin fruits, no reduction of points on the purchase of rare foods, no oranges, no lemons. There was no doubt this was the most miserable Christmas of the war. All the fine hopes of summer had faded, and with them the spirit seemed suddenly to go out. Five years of lowering diet, bombing, defeats, humiliations, conscription, regimentation and dim degradation seemed to have sapped the strength and optimism of seven million cockneys. But victory did come, of course. In Europe, in May 1945, and over the Japanese in August. Between those two dates, Churchill's wartime government had been voted out of office and the lengthy task of rebuilding the country had begun. The shops weren't suddenly full of everything. Shortages and queues persisted. Control over food supplies actually became even tighter. But conditions gradually improved. The last rationing wasn't actually abolished until 1954, nine years after the war. Post-war austerity was a real and depressing thing. But there was peace. And let's end on a happier note as broadcaster and journalist Godfrey Wynne made a BBC broadcast in 1945, after expressing some worries about the post-war poverty still affecting families, that there were at least some things to be grateful for now. He talked about going to visit a church, and said, The most beautiful Christmas tree I have ever seen is in the church of St Martin in the Fields. Every year it stands there at the end of the nave lit up with the Star of Bethlehem touching its topmost branch. Loaded down with presents, given by everyone, perhaps by you, for the children who have no parents, no address to which Father Christmas can come. I defy anyone to walk down that aisle on Christmas Eve towards that great glow of coloured lights and not understand the message of Christmas. How Christmas belongs not only to the children, but to all of us who hold our hands to life and are grateful to give because of the overwhelming bounty we receive. And finally, it's another tenuous link for me to make to try and connect with whatever's going on in the world with whatever I'm rambling about. Easter has just passed, and nowadays Easter includes lots of sweet sugary treats in the shapes of eggs, bunnies and chicks, some of which are sometimes made out of marshmallow. And in 1949, Carl Sigmund and Peter DeRose wrote the wintry song Marshmallow World. I told you it was a tenuous link. This is another one of those songs that makes no explicit mention of Christmas, but the winter references mean it's become somewhat of a Christmas standard and has been covered by many singers. The first hit with the song was iconic festive crooner Bing Crosby in 1950, peaking at number 24 on the Billboard chart. Smell a world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground It's the time for play It's a whipped cream day I wait for it the whole year round those are marshmallow clouds being friendly in the arms of the evergreen tree. And the sun is red 
like a pumpkin head It's shining so your nose won't freeze The world is your snowball In the same year, it was also covered by Ray Anthony, Vic Damone and Johnny Desmond. A version that helped make it more successful was Darlene Loves in 1963 for Phil Spector's brilliant Christmas gift album. It's since been covered by all sorts of huge artists, from Brenda Lee, to Dean Martin, to Garth Brooks, to Seth MacFarlane. But we're here for British covers. And actually, there was not a great deal of British takes on this song. In fact, in all my researching, I could only find three. I think it's kind of a more popular song in the US, but I was still surprised to find only three British artists. Let's check them out though, and begin with indie band Kokti which means two kittens in Polish. The band have Polish origins but live in England and make quite compulsive jerky angular indie pop. They haven't recorded anything since 2012's Staycations album, a record in conjunction with the National Trust, an organisation that helps preserve old buildings and land in the UK. But they did a Christmas cover with a take on Marshmallow World, which is suitably weird with odd musical flourishes and electronic interjections. cover is actually a duet from Tim Wheeler of indie band Ash and Emmy the Great, who released a great and underappreciated Christmas album called Home for the Holidays in 2011. It has a mixture of originals and covers. Their take on Marshmallow World has a great surf rock guitar feel and surges along on a lot of energy and fun feeling. Sugar 
finally, the last cover I could find from British artists takes us to Scotland with Deacon Blue, a pop rock band from the 80s who had hits with the likes of Real Gone Kid. They've had 10 albums out and sold around 7 million records, with 12 UK Top 40 singles and 2 number 1 albums. In 1991, on their live Hudlums tour, they played Marshmallow World for their December shows, including this recorded take on 23rd of December at the Hammersmith in London. It's a time for I wait for it all year round. Those are marshmallow clouds being friendly. Is Brenda here tonight? I love her. In the arms of the evergreen tree. And the sun is red like the pumpkin and it smiles so you know it's far by the way i really love you free So that's it for our April episode, and with that we are a third of the way through the year. Christmas is basically here. Well, half Christmas is basically here, and then maybe Christmas will be basically here. I'm brewing up a new feature that may include some social interaction from you lot in the latter half of the year voting on something musical, so be prepared. But you can still get in touch before then, via Merry Britsmas on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Do you want to get on the buses for a festive trip back to the bawdy, rather politically incorrect 70s? Or is it a marshmallow world you're looking for, whether that's a snowy weather setting or some tasty sugary decoration? Let me know. An happy blooming Christmas to you and all.